If you'll turn to Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to look at verses 13 through 16, page 656 in the Bibles that we give away. If you don't have a Bible, uh, just raise your hand and someone will bring you one. It's our gift to you. We're going through the book of Hebrews verse by verse and looking at chapter 11, especially uh, focusing on all of the different examples of faith. And we're really seeking to learn What does real biblical faith look like? And today we're at this section where we see that faith understands this world is not our home. Uh, So I thought it would be good to watch a video that shows the opposite of what I just said. Okay, let's watch it. Tired of having to wake up, get dressed, and drive across town just to attend your favorite service? Introducing Virtual Reality Church. Start by choosing a church building that meets your needs. Tired of the stress of having to choose a Sunday morning outfit? Never make a fashion mistake again because Virtual Reality Church will style you based on your denomination. Not a people person? Select the introvert experience to completely eliminate the welcome team, meet and greet time, connect cards, and that awkward hold hands with the person next to you thing we still do. Next, personalize your morning by choosing the worship experience that you want. Feeling a touch of white guilt? Add a minority worship leader. Custom options even let you tailor the skinniness of your worship leader's jeans. Finally, no more having to endure songs that you don't like. With Virtual Reality Church, you're in charge. For the sermon, choose the amount of conviction you'd like and we'll select a pastor for you. We'll even let you tailor your sermon topics so you'll never have to attend a Vision Sunday or a sermon series on giving. And never worry again about dozing off during the sermon. With Virtual Reality Church, you can sleep as long as you want. Kids being bad in nursery? Who cares? Worried about missing a football game? Enter your favorite team and we'll provide notifications when the game is starting. Never miss a kickoff again. Want to go forward for prayer? Well, if you selected a Pentecostal service, always stand in front of a mattress. Even connect your social media accounts and we'll post for you. Get credit for being super spiritual all from the comfort of your couch. Finally... An option for people asking the question, how can I make Sunday morning even more about me? Virtual Reality Church, the future of church attendance. That's not what I mean, right? Okay. Faith understands this world is not our home. American Christianity has moved away from biblical Christianity in that it sees the present as the focus instead of the future. It views this world as our home, but what should be the focus? Let's look at our passage, Hebrews 11, 13 through 16. These all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return, but they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. God has a home for us. But faith understands that this world is not it. Now, this is not just an isolated thought in the Scriptures. We see it in several other places. Look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14, just a couple pages over. He says, For we do not have an enduring city here, 
Instead, we seek the one to come. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. We see Paul's thoughts on this. He says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Peter. See what Peter's thoughts are on this. 1 Peter 1, verse 17 He says, If you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers. Same word as he uses in the book of Hebrews. Living as strangers. He says it again in chapter 2, verse 11. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. We're strangers, we're exiles. Our verse, verse 13, we see, first of all, that this world is not our home or our hope. He specifically says these all died in faith. He's referring to the ones he's already mentioned, all the different examples of faith, of Enoch and of Noah and of Abraham and Sarah. They all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised. But they saw them from a distance. They greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Uh, Xenos is the word there for the first word, foreigners, or strangers, as some translations translate this. And then parapidemos is that word for exiles or temporary residents, is what the CSB says. Uh, the New King James calls them pilgrims. Okay? Living in a foreign land, temporary residents on earth. They saw this from afar. This is how the true people, men and women of God, lived in faith. That this world is not our home or our hope. I had a, uh, a commercial here. I got to look it up. Uh, this commercial, a Lexus commercial, okay? It says, someday your life will flash before your eyes. Make sure it's something worth looking at by Alexis. I mean, the first part, you know, yeah, someday your life will flash before your eyes. That is true. So by Alexis? <laughs> okay, it's missing the point here. Okay, that's uh, Subaru. <laughs> Love is what makes a Subaru a Subaru. Love? I mean, this is how, this is crass commercialism is what we see here. So how do we fix this? How do we get to this place, instead of American Christianity, this place of biblical Christianity, this, this view of true faith, where our world is? I think three things we need to uh, understand from a biblical perspective, and I, and I want us to watch the progression of this. So let's look at these three things that will help us get back to this biblical understanding of faith. And the first one, I'm going backwards here, there we go, is the nature of humanity. We need to understand who we really are. You see, the world typically says human beings are basically good, you know, so we just need a little education and everything's going to be fine. But the Bible speaks of us in realistic terms, that we are selfish, 
Look at Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. Here is a description of the heart of all human beings before they come to Christ. This is the predicament that we all find ourselves in, and if we're honest, we're willing to say, yeah, that's me. Jeremiah 17, 9, he says, The heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? Now, there is the true reality. That's a great definition of depravity. Sin is terminal, and the only cure is a heart transplant. That's how bad off we are, but that's God's plan that we see predicted even in the Old Testament. Look at Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19. We see this heart transplant predicted that God is going to make it available, and it's available through Jesus Christ. Look at Ezekiel 11, verse 19. He says, I will get, and this is speaking of the new covenant to come. He says, I will give them integrity of heart and put a new spirit within them. I will remove their heart of stone from their bodies and give them a heart of flesh so that they will follow my statutes, keep my ordinances, and practice them. They will be my people, and I will be their God. Here's God's plan. We're bad. We can't fix ourselves. God will give us a heart transplant through faith in Jesus Christ. We receive that new heart that wants to follow God. We receive the Holy Spirit who helps us to follow God, and that's how we are changed. But we have to note here, okay, selfish people treat this world as home instead of realizing the need for a heart transplant. But God makes it available. So we want to keep that focus on God's plan, but also contrast it with the way of the world we see it. So the nature of humanity is the first thing we need to understand in this, but also the kingdom of God. Okay, we need to understand God's view of the kingdom of God. What does it that mean? So I want you to now turn to John chapter three. Okay, we're going to get to verse sixteen, which is everyone's favorite verse, and rightfully so, John three sixteen. But we need to understand it in context. So look at John chapter three, verse three. First of all, this is where Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. He comes at night because he's ashamed and he wants, but he wants to talk to Jesus and find out a little more about him. And this is, so he's just kind of laying on the platitudes and so forth. And Jesus just cuts to the chase, very not politically correct. This is what he says. Verse three, Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't even see the kingdom of God, let alone be a Christian, unless you are born again. And that's the heart transplant. This is the doctrine of regeneration. This is God's plan. Now, how does that work? Skip to chapter 3, verse 16. This is where verse 16 comes in. He says, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We get the eternal life. We enter into the kingdom of God when we believe, when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, surrendering to him as Lord, believing that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin that we were supposed to pay. Okay, but we can't stop in verse 16. We have to move 
past that to see the context again. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now that is his first coming, what we celebrate at Christmas, that he came first to be a human being, take on a second nature, that of humanity, to uh, die on the cross for our sins, rise again from the dead, ascend to heaven, pour out his spirit, and then he's going to come back later. So his first coming, he didn't come to judge the world. But his second coming, he will judge the world. Look what it goes on to say, though. Verse 18, anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Now, this is something, uh, this is a theme throughout the Gospel of John, this idea of light and darkness. There is a battle going on right now between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And everyone is in one of these kingdoms, and we are not automatically born in the kingdom of God. We must be born again. That's how we switch kingdoms. And so we must be born again. Once again, regeneration. That's what we see. Uh, Sometimes people say eschatology doesn't really matter. Okay, that's the doctrine of the end times, what's going to happen in the end. Okay, but there is some basic understandings of the end times that really do matter and make significance in what we're talking about right now. Okay, let me tell you two. There's several different views of eschatology, but let me give you two, okay? There's one called postmillennialism and one called premillennialism. Have you heard of that? Okay. Postmillennialism believes that the kingdom of God is supposed to be built here and now, and it's, everything's just going to get better and better and better until everything is basically Christian, Okay. Now, there was a conservative view of that. That's pretty much died. But there's a liberal view that is still moving in that direction that still believes because they believe that humans are basically good, that we can build the kingdom now and make everything right with a little politics and so forth, okay? That's postmillennialism. That's the view that this world is our home. Premillennial says... No, our home is the future. We long for the return of Jesus Christ where he will then set everything straight and make things right, okay? Liberalism has a faulty view of humanity and so believes that through politics and education, we can change the world here and now. This, that's post-millennial thought, this has even affected the church's mission. Okay, as we get influenced by this. So follow the progression. Nature of humanity. Are we basically good or are we sinful and in need of a heart transplant? The kingdom of God. Are we supposed to build the kingdom of God now or do we long for the return of Christ where the kingdom of God fully comes? Okay, keep those thoughts in mind because this affects 
the mission of the church. What are we here for? Is it to have nice potlucks? Yeah. Okay. Uh, what are we here for now, okay? The mission of the church. Matthew chapter 5, 13 through 16 describes how we're supposed to be the salt and light of the world, right? So we are supposed to actually make a difference by being and speaking the truth, by living out the truth and speaking the truth, and that will make some kind of a change even in the world. We're supposed to be salt and light, not supposed to take our light and hide it and so forth, okay? But we also have that thing at the end of Matthew called the Great Commission, which says go and make disciples. Okay, so which is it? I just am supposed to be, you know, real nice and let everybody see how nice I am and that's gonna help them be nice or share the gospel and make disciples? And the answer is yes, (laughs) Right? We're supposed to be involved of both of those things. We're to be salt and light and therefore make a difference in the world by our actions and examples. We should minister to the poor. We should speak out against racism. We should rescue the babies who are being slaughtered by abortion. We should try to stop human trafficking. But because this world is not our home, and here's how our passage fits this, we must prioritize the gospel and make disciples of Jesus Christ. We recognize that unless one person at a time receives the heart transplant and is born again and becomes a disciple of Jesus, we won't change the world in an eternally lasting way. And this is why when we minister to the poor, we also give them the gospel. When we speak out against racism, we point people to Jesus who said God loves everyone and wants every tribe to be represented. When we speak out against abortion, we seek to help the mothers change their minds about abortion and their hearts by receiving Jesus. When we seek to stop human trafficking, we do what we can to help the victims also find Jesus. Because eternity is more important than now. Everlasting life is more significant than 80 to 90 years of life. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. There's the priority. So we have the priority, and it's both and, okay? I have a little illustration here. It says, no one imagined that Charles Dutton would have achieved anything, for he spent many years imprisoned for manslaughter. But when someone asked this now successful Broadway star of the piano lesson how he managed to make such a remarkable transition, he replied, Unlike the other prisoners, I never decorated my cell. Hmm. Dutton had resolved never to regard his cell as home. Christians, too, accomplish much in this world when they don't accommodate themselves to it, but instead are longing for a better country, a heavenly one. When we're looking to the future so we live out our days now to advance the kingdom of God, 
recognizing that the kingdom of God is both now and not yet. We've talked about that before, okay? It is here in part, but it's not fully here until the king returns. And so we live in that tension uh, where we're longing for his return, so let's live now to advance the kingdom until the king returns, because once he returns, it's too late. I've asked Aaron to sing a song that kind of puts this together. So listen to this. Looking at my life like a fly on the wall Like it's not mine at all Today I'm feeling an ache inside With a lump in my throat and a limp I can't hide Today I'm smelling like death to the hiders Like hope to the seekers Like life to the finders, oh Life in the now is the week before Christmas Flying through clouds and sightseeing in glimpses Hand to the plow, faithfully sowing Patiently watching for signs of the growing Feet on the bow, eyes on the horizon Scanning for mythical misty lands rising my appetite with a deja vu taste of angelic delight they're handing out samples of what's yet to come the curtain is rising there beat the drum I want to be numbered among the crowd of witnesses who thrived in the now to not yet They walked through Death Valley, were labeled as frauds For they glimpsed an oasis inside the mirage They sold their belongings and cut all their ties Convinced that these longings were meant for the skies They never received what they waited for On this side of heaven They thirsted for more They learned all the secrets Of being content Lives were poured out And fortunes were spent Their life on this earth Was a refugee camp Where they loved all the widows And orphans and tramps They dropped all their nets Left behind all regret And put all their stock into naught Today I'm looking at my life 
breath like a fly on the wall Cause it's not mine at all Today I feel the familiar ache From a hope that will rise Through a heart that will break Today I'm hearing a song in my head Sung by the one who will guide me From now to not yet Aaron wrote that song. This world's not our home. That's what the first verse makes very, very clear. They saw from a distance and greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. But we do have a home, okay? Look at the next verse, verse 14. Verse. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. So the sojourning, the pilgrimage, isn't for eternity. We're looking, longing for this home to come. And God has a magnificent home being readied as we speak. We saw this two weeks ago in John 14, 1 through 3. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come back and take you to be there. He's got this place. We see that it's a city. We'll see uh, a city that's going to come in the end. And so he does have a place for us. So we do have a home. But our hope isn't now. Look at Romans 8. 23 through 25. Remember, the book of Hebrews was written to a group of Christians that were beginning to experience persecution. And this was very important to help them be able to endure the persecution. But if we're not being persecuted, it's easy to slip out of this and start feeling really comfortable here on the planet. And so we need to be reminded, this is not our home, okay? Our hope isn't now. Look at Romans 8, verse 23. He says, not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. We look forward to that day when Jesus comes back and we get new bodies, Okay, when you get older, this becomes more important to you. <laughs> okay, this is what we long for. Okay, he says, now in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. And so we live for the kingdom. To come. Pepsi, there's another commercial. Their big billboard now, it says, live for now. That is awful advice. That is the opposite of what we're seeing here, but it is our culture. I, a uh, long time ago, I wrote something in my quiet time, and I, I found this, uh, so I want to read it to you, okay? This was a long time ago. 
It says, I was up in a tree having a quiet time. I don't climb trees anymore. Okay. And I, re- by the way, I remember those days. I would climb up a tree and just have my quiet time up a tree. It was just marvelous. But anyway, okay, got it. And I realized absolutely everything is held together by Jesus. It's as if the entire universe is in the palm of his hand. And at any moment, all he would have to do is let go. And we would all disintegrate into nothing. When you get a revelation of Jesus like that, your petty worries evaporate into nothing. These are just glimpses, seeing from a distance. Just imagine what it will be like when Jesus returns and reveals himself fully to us. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. That's going to be a day. So we do have a home. Next verse. Turning away from the ancient way is not helpful. Now, I'm calling it the ancient way, but turning away from the biblical way. I call it the ancient way because it was 2,000 years ago when Jesus came, right? Okay, but, and, and he's, well, let's look at the passage, verse 15. It says, if they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return. You know, if, if these great people of faith would have, you know, thought about where they had come from, they, they could have returned, but he's saying that would have been bad, right? Okay, so they were tempted to go backwards. But today it's almost the opposite. Today people are being tempted to change and make something new. Okay, and so in other words, turn from the biblical ancient way. And I think this verse is saying that that's not helpful for either option. Uh, Liberal Christianity has compromised the truth. Becoming like the world is not what is going to change the world. And that is this new idea. Even in the church, we need to become like the world somehow. Radical Christians don't need entertainment. They need God's word, the ancient truth. The world doesn't need to be told it's okay. It needs to be told and shown the gospel. We used to, in Atlanta serve in this ministry that was in downtown Atlanta, one of the roughest places on the planet, you know, or at least in the United States. And it was a ministry to the poor. And we were there, uh, we would go regularly there and minister there. And they had this food kitchen place where they would feed the poor as well. And right where you would go and uh, receive your food, there was this big painting on the wall in the back that everybody saw. And it said this, it says, If I'm okay and you're okay, then explain this. And it has Jesus bloodied and dying on the cross. If I'm okay and you're okay, if everybody's basically good, why in the world did Jesus have to die on the cross for our sins? No, we're not okay. And there's this, there's this thing called with, with mission, it's called contextualization, and we need to do that. You need to contextualize uh, how do we minister to different cultures, okay? That is true, but that can easily become compromise 
instead of contextualization, where we compromise the truth instead, and we're not helping anyone. And it's because you can't improve Jesus. He is awesome. <laughs> this, this Jesus, the real Jesus, not the fake one that we make and that we form and, and mold and so forth. Jesus, the true Jesus, he is our only hope. Now, I'm going to say something, and you're going to think I'm being political, and I'm not. Okay, so let's just make that clear. Okay, true Christianity is conservative. Now, what do I mean by that? See, I told you you were thinking I was in. Okay. <laughs> by the, the true meaning of those words. See, liberal ultimately means free to change and make things different new. Okay, that's what liberal means. Conservative means to conserve the old ways. You can argue whether conservative politics is actually conservative or not. You know, go, go ahead. But theologically, liberalism wants to change the ways of God's word and God's ultimate plan. Whereas we want to conserve the truth that we see in the scriptures. Okay, this because you can't improve. Jesus. God's word was written in such a way that it transcends culture. It's amazing how it works in all cultures. By the way, my son, he has just finished a class on missions. Uh, He's at seminary, and he was telling me, he says, Dad, Christianity is way bigger now in other continents than it is in the United States. And I was like, yes! (laughs) Isn't that awesome? It is incredibly growing in Africa, in Asia, in South America, okay? And and it's especially because in those groups that are going back to the Bible. So you can't improve Jesus. Stick to him. You'll, You'll go far. Because the last point is also very, very important. God has our back. Look at verse 16. He says, but they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Speaking of these great people of faith, okay, they desire that better place. They're longing for the future, so now they're living to advance the kingdom and looking forward to that heavenly uh, home to come. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. He has prepared a city for us, but he's not afraid to call us, ashamed to call us his, uh, his people, okay? Because So God has our back. I have here, the omni-God can and will have our best interest in mind. What do I mean by the omni-God? God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He is omnibenevolent. He is all-loving. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere all at once and beyond. That God has our back, has our best interests in mind, okay? That God. But for God, the kingdom is priority. Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom. That is his priority as well. Now, God has our back. Humans can't and won't have our best interests in mind. We cannot put our faith in human beings and or in ourselves. I have another quote here. Got all these quotes on my phone. Let's see if I can find it. 
Uh, that wasn't it. There it is. This is from Joel Olstein. You are more powerful than any force trying to stop you. No, you're not. That is a lie. God is more powerful than any force trying to stop you. We don't trust in ourselves. We trust in him, and he has our back, so it's okay. We can risk. We can build a home for women who need a shelter to get out of that lifestyle, to get out away from the bondage. We can do that, and we don't care. We can go to Afghanistan as a missionary. It doesn't matter because we know God has our back. We might even get killed, but that's okay because I'm not looking for the now. The omni-God. Well, so some practical application here, okay? Pilgrims, that's us, who have faith in God, pack light. Materialism is a killer of faith. American Christianity has baptized greed. Now, this doesn't mean that it's wrong to have things. People in the Bible had things. God encourages us to enjoy life. So that's not what it's saying. So there is a now part of the now and not yet. But it does mean we hold everything lightly. We don't hold it like this. We hold it like this. Uh, Pilgrims don't hold tightly onto their possessions. Pilgrims learn to be givers, not takers. And pilgrims are always moving toward their goal. He's prepared a city for them. That's our goal. That's where we're moving. But where is your home? Okay. Uh, Faith understands this world is not our home. I want to finish with a quote from John Piper in his book, Future Grace. Excellent book, by the way. He says, Evelyn Harris Brand The mother of Paul Brand, the world-renowned hand surgeon and leprosy specialist, grew up in a well-to-do English family. She had studied at the London Conservatory of Art and dressed in the finest silks. But she went with her husband to minister as missionaries in the Kalimalai range of India. After about 10 years, her husband died at age 44, and she came home a broken woman, beaten down by pain and grief. But after a year's recuperation, and against all advice, she returned to India. Her soul was restored, and she poured her life into the hill people, nursing the sick, teaching farming, lecturing about guinea worms, rearing orphans, clearing jungle land, pulling teeth, establishing schools, preaching the gospel. She lived in a portable hut, eight feet square, that could be taken down, moved, and erected again. At age 67, she fell and broke her hip. Her son, Paul, had just come uh, to India as a surgeon. He encouraged her to retire. She had already suffered a broken arm, several cracked vertebrae, and recurrent malaria. Paul mounted as many arguments as he could think of to persuade her that 67 years was a good investment in ministry, and now it was time to retire. Her response, Paul, you know these mountains. If I leave, who will help the village people? Who will treat their wounds and pull their teeth and teach them about Jesus? When someone comes to take my place, then and only then will I retire. In any case, why preserve this old body if it's not going to be used where God needs me? That was her final answer. So she worked on. 
At the age of 95, she died. Following her instructions, villagers buried her in a simple cotton sheet so that her body would return to the soil and nourish new life. Her spirit, too, lives on in a church, a clinic, several schools, and in the faces of thousands of villagers across five mountain ranges of South India. Her son commented that with wrinkles as deep and extensive as any I have ever seen on a human face, she was a beautiful woman. But it was not the beauty of the silk and heirlooms of London high society. For the last 20 years of her life, she refused to have a mirror in her house. She was consumed with ministry, not mirrors. A co-worker once remarked that Granny Brand was more alive than any person he had ever met. By giving away life, she found it. This is what happens paradoxically when ministry is more important than life. When you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's how people of faith live. Let's pray.